If you love Jesus, I think if you love Jesus, you could do better than that on a Sunday night. Come on, if you love Jesus, I mean, really love him, amen. There's some radical people here. On a Sunday night in Albuquerque, you could get five people out and a litter of kittens. And I promise you that the kittens would be more alive than the adults. And so um, pretty amazing to see all the body of Christ coming together. So uh, Pastor Jackson, thank you for your friendship, for your love. Three and a half years we go back and one night he's like, hey, let's go to Cheesecake Factory and introduce you to somebody uh, who's a uniter, who brings people together and got to meet Dr. Calvin Battle, the bishop, the reverend, the holy, uh, the first father. Uh, so love, love this man of God, been tracking with him for a few years and then Blame it on Fish Daddy's got to meet Pastor Rich, and thank you, Pastor Chris, for hosting us. And um, God is doing some good stuff. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 63. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. When it comes to fashion, I'm new school. When it comes to the Word of God, I'm old school. And uh, so turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, the Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Anybody been through a desert lately? Just, just a dry time, maybe in your marriage, maybe a, a difficult season in your finances, maybe spiritually, just kind of feels like you're going in a, in a desert time. It says, when David was in the desert of Judah, and he cries out, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify. I wish somebody would get excited and help me read the word of God tonight. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. My singing lips with, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Father, I pray tonight that you would speak in the moments that remain. Holy Spirit, right now, begin to birth a spirit of desperation that David had. There it is. God, we are way too complacent. We are way too easily entertained. We've traded Netflix for the glory of God. So to God, stir us up tonight with a holy dissatisfaction with anything less than you, Jesus. We want the real thing. We want you and all of you tonight. So Jesus, tonight, Holy Spirit, begin to draw us. No man can come to the Father unless you draw him. So, God, tonight, draw us. Lord, make us hungry. <laughs> make us hungry tonight. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 Touch your... No, 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 no. Keep standing. T- touch your neighbor and say, are you hungry for the real thing? All right. Now, now touch your other neighbor, the good-looking one. And tell them, are you ready for the real thing? Are you hungry tonight for the real thing? Awesome. Give two people a high five as you grab your seats. Rich was uh, doing some drive-by prayer the other day. He was over at uh, Believer's Church with Pastor Roger. 
and uh, Pete Gregg and the team and ran over there and um, he said, why don't you come in for five minutes and these interns will pray over you, you know, and so, so okay. And, uh, you know, I was expecting prophetic words, very profound, like, you know, I just hear God saying, like, you're his son. <laughs> a lot of prophetic insight there, like, either I'd be a son or a daughter, you had a 50-50 chance there of being right, like, I just hear you, like, you're his son, I'm like, he loves you, like, yeah, okay, I read John three sixteen, right, so like, but I'm telling you, they started praying, it was just right on, like, just right on, so you guys are in for a treat tonight. Amen. Years ago, my wife and I launched a ministry in Italy, and we uh, launched five bases all across Italy in about a month. We crisscrossed the nation, and uh, we got, lastly, we were down in Palermo, preaching in Palermo at a big, at the largest church in Italy, hosted a pastor's conference. We preached there and went out with uh, my assistant, uh, Marcella, who's from Tuscany area, and Pastor Bruno, my best friend, and, and my wife, and we went out to dinner, and I gained 10 pounds on that trip in about three weeks. <laughs> unbelievable but it's not right it was ungodly and uh, gained, gained so much weight none of my suits fit me and uh, uh, Br- Bruno's uh, sister is the vice one of the vice presidents of uh, Armani and uh, he goes you know I can get you some Armani suits for about 800 I said you got anything less than 800 and uh, and so uh, he goes yeah there's this other designer kind of he's the designer for Armani and he makes suits uh, but he also makes his own kind of private label you can get those for 200 I was like, cha-ching, son. for four of those suits, I can, for what would it cost me for one Armani suit, I get the same guy, went and got those suits, and, and unfortunately, I got them at the beginning of the trip, <laughs> and by the end of the trip, none of them fit me, and uh, so I'm just like, you know, dear Lord Jesus, and we go out to eat uh, with this very influential pastor, and he goes, I'm going to take you to the best restaurant in all of Sicily. And we're on this kind of mountain overlooking the ocean, and, and we, we catch the lobster. We bring them in fresh every day, and you never had lobster like this. Like, it's so good, it makes you slap your mama. And uh, I said, do you have any food that's less violent? Because I really like my mom. And so, uh, but he says, you never taste anything like this. Like, literally, the glory of God is in the white sauce. And, uh, and so, like, they're bringing out this food, and I'm just like, if I eat one more thing, like... It's, it's not going to be pretty, and I'm not hungry, and I'm like, give me a, a side salad, please, you know, and uh, Bruno's like, what's wrong with you, man? You come to the best restaurant and says you're going to offend the pastor. I'm like, I, dude, I can't. I just, I, I mean, I'm going to break down repenting right now, and so they bring this lobster, N- not red lobster. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's an American invention is what that is, I'm, and, uh, but like, they bring in this lobster. It's like this big. There's two of them. And they're opened up with the lobster inside. With his, you, you look at this. You're getting hungry, aren't you, brother? I mean, like, Gloria God, white sauce with the lobster. And it's, like, beautiful red. And it, it goes by. I'm like, what, 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 what's that, you know? And he goes, oh, that's the house specialty. I'm like, can we have one? Can Mercy and I have one of those, you know? And he's like, I thought you weren't hungry. I'm like, I'm hungry now. <laughs> have you ever noticed how we get stuffed? We, we get full... You get, you get home and you turn on Netflix and you get the bag of Doritos, but not like the regular nacho cheese ones, but like one of those funky flavors, you know, like pistachio nut spinach cheese nachos. You're like, who in the world? It's like, is their lead chef psychotic? Who's making up these flavors, you know? 
and uh, you're sitting there and you eat one, you're like, that wasn't so bad, and you get done and you have like pistachio nacho cheese all over your chest, you know, and then it's dinner time and you're not hungry. We are way too easily entertained. We are too easily satisfied. We spoil our appetite with the things of this world and we lose our hunger. But it's amazing that getting the presence of this langosta especiale uh, made my senses come alive. I was stuffed. I was full. Could not eat another thing. But being able to see it, being able to smell it. See, the Bible says taste and see. Oh, y'all don't want me to preach tonight, do you? You just want to go home and watch Netflix. I, I know what's going on. Stranger Things is coming out, and you guys are like on the countdown or something. All right. But once I smelt it and once I saw it, it created this wrap. My wife and I finished the double lobster langosta special. We finished the whole thing. Wanted check. Like, it was like amazing how we, we get out of the presence of God. For just a little bit, and entertainment fills us, and sports fill our lives, and friendships fill our lives, and I have lots of friends, and I love sports, and I watch movies, okay? <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how we get stuffed on all the other things except the real thing. And I think sometimes we're not backsliding as much as we're just, we're not, we, we've lost our hunger. And the Bible says that one of the greatest gifts that God can give you, this blessing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's not hungering and thirsting for morality. It's hungering and thirsting for the righteous one. See, the Bible says there's none that are righteous, no, not one, only Christ. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 4, that your best attempts at righteousness are like filthy, dirty, rotten rags. See, Paul said, the, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God, the faith of the Son of God. And I live now by His righteousness. It's not my righteousness. See, see Paul said, all my righteousness is poop. In the Greek, right? I mean, if we're going to quote the Bible, I mean, in the Greek, he's saying this is caca. <laughs> caca poo poo, right? And, and it's nothing in the eyes of God. And so now I want... His righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteous one. For he will fill you with his righteousness. And I think in the body of Christ we've lost hunger. And in the American church we've lost hunger. And we've gotten entertained. We've gotten satisfied with the light show. And we have intelligent lights at my church. Because I found out that intelligent lighting is better than stupid lighting. Right? And... Uh, We've gotten entertained by really good musicians and really good bands. And, and I'd rather sit and listen to a really good band than a really bad band, okay? Like it, like it ruins my anointing, right? And so, but we've gotten entertained and we've lost that hunger and that passion for the presence of God. We had our America Praise Board Retreat last week in Austin and we got up Wednesday morning from a no-name worship leader that none of you have ever heard of. He released an album that sold two copies. His mom and his grandma bought it. And uh, his wife didn't buy it, but his grandma and his mom bought it. And she'd already heard it. Like, you're not that good. And he got up with a guitar, and he was going to be the worship. I'm like, what, I got to play the forks here? I'm the rhythm section? You know, like, no drummer? Like, no jambe, nothing? I mean, like, no keys? I'm like, this ought to be interesting. And he's like, let's just worship. I'm like, 
I'm going to write another sermon while I'm here. And the presence of God began to descend through a no-name worship leader that none of us ever heard with a halfway decent voice and a pretty good guitar player because he had the real thing. And I thought, man, I'd trade this for any concert of any of the big-name bands out there because God is here. We, we've gotten satisfied, church. We've, we've gotten stuffed on the wrong things. And I think God tonight is calling us back to the real thing, to hunger and thirst for his presence, to get desperate once again for his presence. About 12 years ago, there was a, a man named Jay, and uh, he lived down in Oklahoma City near Edmond. And uh, he was a business leader in the community, uh, well, very well-respected in his church, kind of the CEO type, drove, drove the nice BMW, the kind that you're praying God blesses you with. You know what I'm talking about, the 7 Series. And uh, nobody prays for the 3 Series. We're praying for the 7, right? Um, and he's, he's married to a beautiful, smoking hot wife, and life is good. And she gets pregnant, and they give birth to a beautiful little baby girl. And she's born, and she's healthy, and they go home, and he just can't believe it. And he thinks, you know, I didn't know being a dad could be so amazing. And it's this beautiful little girl, and she's starting to grow, and, and now it's time for preschool. And he, he drops her off, and he stands outside the window, and kind of watches for a little bit. I don't know if, if you did that. I did that my daughter's first day of preschool. They called security on me. I was like, no, no, my daughter's in there, really. I'm, I'm not a homeless, you know. And uh, I just watched her and cried in my car. And I called my wife, had emotion. She's like, grow up, stop being a baby. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's like first day, she's three, you know, and she's so little. What if they break her, you know? And, uh, and then Jay's daughter went to kindergarten. That was a big day. And Take your child to kindergarten. It's a, it's a big day. And uh, my, my daughter did really well at kindergarten. I, I had a meltdown, but she, had a, she was fine. Bye, you know. Can I have a kissy? No. You know, you're like, what? You know, daddy's little girls always kiss me. What in the world? Took my son first day of school. He cried like a baby. And for, for two weeks, I had to stay with him every day. And after two weeks, the teacher's like, yeah, this isn't working. Can you just leave? And I'm like, sorry, it's my son. You know, we have a hard time letting go of his parents. And then his little baby girl, Melissa, you know, she's second grade soccer, and he's so excited. She's in soccer now, and we know how that is. In third grade, she does bat ballet, and, and she's just growing, and now it's fifth, fifth grade graduation, and she was class secretary, and she got to give a little speech, and dad, Jay's just like, man, that's, that's my girl. Between fifth grade and sixth grade, uh, she had a rough summer. They went, they went to Disneyland, and, and uh, noticed she was struggling, had a fever, they took her back, and she missed most of it, so, so Jay and his wife would take turns with their daughter uh, at the hotel because she was fever and couldn't explain it and some headaches and some stuff. And when they got back, back home to Oklahoma City, they, they took her to the hospital and began to run some tests, and they figured out she had a very aggressive form of leukemia, and uh, she didn't have long to live. And Jay's world was wrecked. That's his baby girl. When I was a young man, I, there was two movies that deeply impacted me. First was E.T., Don't You Dare Laugh. Uh, it was, I mean, boom. It was a game changer, E.T. And uh, not because of the alien, though, uh, because of Drew Barrymore. Uh, it just was like a game changer. And so I had a crush on her. And uh, she had a crush on me, I'm pretty sure. But uh, had to turn her down. God had a beautiful bride for me. And so 
Uh, but the second movie was Savannah Smiles about, and this little girl and the daddy's girl. And I just remember watching that show thinking, man, I, from seven years old, I wanted to be a dad and have a daddy's girl. I don't know what it was, Calvin, just like dream inside my heart. And I have two beautiful daughters, Chloe and Lauren and a, and a son, Colin. We call him Walker, Texas Ranger, but uh, he's awesome. And, uh, but uh, Jay's just, his world's falling apart because it's his baby girl. And what he's going to do. And he says, pray stupid things like, God, I just, you know, take me instead of her. Like, when does that ever happen, right? Like, God's never taken up that offer, but we say it, we pray it anyway, you know. And he's devastated, wrecks his world, and he can't think, and he can't pray, and he can't work, and he's distracted. I don't know if you parents have ever had a loved one that went through that, but you know what I'm talking about. But then he hears that in Tulsa, this is a really great guest, guest preacher who has the gift of healing. And he came from a Baptist church. He wasn't sure how he felt about that, but he said, you know what, I'll, I'll go to that little charismatic church and give it a try because I'm just desperate. Because it's my baby girl. And Jesus, please don't take my baby girl. So while, while Jay's on his way up to Tulsa, a little healing service with his guest preacher. The guest preacher gets interrupted by somebody else. And the guest preacher doesn't get to pray with him and his little baby girl, and his baby girl died. And I don't know if you picked it up, but I'm preaching to you from Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, when Jesus again had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake, Mark 5, 22. Then one of the synagogue rulers, very respected, this community named Jay or Jairus, came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. And Jesus went with her. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that it was from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power or virtue had got out from him. He turned around the crowd and he said, who touched me? You see, all the people crowding against you, his disciples said, and yet you ask who touched me? Peter's like, what, what, there's thousands of people around you. What do you mean who touched you? And Jesus said, somebody touched me different. A lot of people touched me. But there was one person who touched me with a desperate heart. There's one thing that Jesus cannot refuse, and that's desperation. Desperation is the one thing that Jesus cannot refuse. And he said, somebody touched me differently. And virtue has gone out of me. I'm very much into letting the text speak for itself. I know a lot of preachers today aren't, but I'm old school. I think let the Bible say what it has to say. It was good enough for Jesus and good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me. In, in the text... It doesn't seem like Jesus was planning on healing her. Am I right, Pastor Battle? I mean, he's genuinely surprised. The all-knowing Jesus is genuinely surprised. And he says, who touched me? 
Well, he's omniscient, yes. But he had not planned on healing her that day, according to the text. He was genuinely surprised. Who touched me? See, desperation cannot change the will of God. Make no mistake about it. You can be desperate for the million-dollar house. If it's not God's will, you ain't going to get it. You can claim it in Jesus' name. You can stand on the promises of God. You can put your seed money, and if it ain't the will of God, you ain't going to get it. God only answers prayers according to his will. See, the Bible, my Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have if we ask anything we want. And we send a seed offering. No, if we ask anything we want, and we ask according to what? According to his will, it will be done. The confidence is in the will of God. So desperation cannot change the will of God. It never has, it never will. But desperation can accelerate I wish somebody would help me preach tonight. Desperation can accelerate the timing of God's will. I wish somebody would help me tonight. I wish somebody would help me tonight. She was going to be healed, but it wasn't that day. But her desperation pulled something out of Jesus. And I wonder if there's anybody here tonight who has a desperate need. And if you would get desperate tonight, what, what could that pull out of Jesus? Virtue and goodness and healing and provision could be pulled out of Jesus through a desperate heart. And she gets her miracle. But she, Jesus was on his way to help Jairus, to help his daughter. And in that commotion, a servant comes and says, Hey, Jairus, don't bother the master. Your daughter is dead. If I'm Jairus, I'm pissed. I mean, I am really upset. I'm going to say, what's wrong with you, woman? You've been bleeding for 12 years. Couldn't you wait another five hours? Like, what was going to change in the next five hours? I mean, you stole my miracle. I'm upset if I'm Jairus, if we're going to be honest here. And you would be too. Don't be looking at me with religious eyes. You'd be upset too. And Jesus goes to the house, and he says, the girl's not dead. She's what? She's sleeping I came here tonight to tell somebody that your dream is not dead, it's just sleeping. (laughs) I I just came here to tell somebody that your marriage is not dead, it's just asleep. I came here to tell somebody your finances are not dead, they're just sleeping. Your family's not dead, your dream, your ministry. I came to tell a pastor that's discouraged that your church is not dead, it's just sleeping. And all it takes is one touch from the master for that to come back to life. Because when we touch Jesus, we're touching the very resurrection and the very life and the very power of God. Come on, help me tonight. If you love God, give him a shout of praise. I'm almost done. Said every preacher ever, right? It's amazing that Jairus' daughter is born and it's a glorious day, but at the same time, a woman got a hemorrhage. She had been bleeding for 12 years. The whole 12 years, Jairus' daughter is growing in health. Over here, some woman is having the worst 12 years of her life. And, and I love this, this comparison here. That 12 years of life for Jairus' daughter is 12 years of death for this woman. See, we never know that what we're going through, 
We might be in a good season, but at the same parallel time, somebody else is in a hard season. I've had the fastest growing church in New Mexico, and I've had the fastest decreasing church in New Mexico in, in, like in, in consecutive years. So, so I've been through both, okay? I've been through the high, I preached to tens of thousands and I preached to two. So, you know, uh, I, I know what it's like. And while his daughter's growing, this woman is bleeding. And according to Jewish law, she can't be touched. She can't go near anybody. So imagine how many graduations she missed. She missed her son's high school graduation. She couldn't go there and be bleeding the whole time. Her daughter got married, but she couldn't be at the wedding. Come on, help work with me here. These are real people. Imagine all that she missed in those 12 years. She hasn't been touched in 12 years. But I love it that in Jesus, the untouchable can touch the lovely one and be made whole. I love it that in Acts 3, at, at this gate called Beautiful, there's a man who feels very ugly. But there's a man who's been lame since birth, and he feels ugly, and he feels crippled, and he's been begging for 40 years. And I love it that Jesus walked by him hundreds of times. That was one of the main gates to get to the temple. And so hundreds of times Jesus walked by him, didn't touch him. And he's, there was a little can change. Can I have some change? And Jesus walked right on by. Not out of lack of compassion, but there was a moment, there was a day for his healing. And Jesus wanted Peter and John to know the same power of God that resided in him. Listen, you don't have a junior Holy Spirit. You have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, and Jesus went around anointed by the Holy Spirit doing good and delivering people. We have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And Jesus walked by that man and he said, I'm sorry, son, it's just not your day, but it's coming soon. He wanted Peter and John, and I love it at the gate, beautiful. There's a beautiful miracle. The one who feels ugly is made beautiful. And there are people in this room, you've felt ugly. You've given your body away sexually and you feel ugly. People you loved have hurt you and you feel ugly. But here comes the beautiful one walking right up to you and say, it's your time. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I, you can't give away what you don't have. And we've been a powerless church for the most part in America because we, don't lack, we lack the presence of God. Where the presence of God is the power of God. The Bible says in the presence, the power of God was present to heal them. We could only give away what we have. But there was a day, the Bible says, a time to be born and a time to die and a time to be healed, a time to be set free. And here's what I know, desperation can accelerate that. And I wonder if any, anybody came in here desperate tonight, just broken and devastated and just in desperate need. I, I preached a story about Jairus about 12 years ago at my church and it was a winner. It, uh, and I felt like God say, that's, that's going to be a message for you. You don't understand it yet. I'm like, I think I get it. It's pretty straightforward, you know. She said, you're, you're going to get it one day. And I'm traveling with the Billy Graham tour. Uh, we're packing tens of thousands of people together to pray. 
And I get a phone call from my wife, baby, come home, something's wrong with Chloe. She was 12 years old. She was hospitalized. She went from running track to a wheelchair in three weeks. So fortunately, I'd already done seven of my 10 states, and so I just, I had a few months break from my states, and I stayed home for three months. And I watched my daughter go through the most agonizing pain, level 10, screaming, convulsing pain. They gave her a shot of fentanyl, which I do not like, but it was the strongest they had, and it didn't touch the pain. And the ER doctor said, I've never seen anybody not respond to fentanyl. I don't know what your daughter has, but... That, that's, I don't, we have no answers for you. I remember having to carry her to the airport in my arms, put her in the wheelchair, and fly her home. I remember the pain of 4 a.m. crying with her until she fell asleep. And she was 12 years old. What you don't know is that when my, my wife and I were newlyweds, I had a dream that I had a 12-year-old daughter and that when she was 12, she got deathly sick and died. That was in 1999. The time I had my, that dream, my, my wife had been diagnosed with an incurable tropical infectious disease. She'd gone through three weeks of 105 fever, passed five kidney stones in 1999. We went out east to see some specialists in New York and Pennsylvania. And it was a, a, a few days before Christmas, 1999. Everybody's worried about Y2K. I'm worried if my wife's going to make it into the new year. And the doctor calls and he says, uh, Mr. Out, are you sitting down? And you just never want to hear a doctor say that. I said, no, uh, I am now. So the good news is it's not her kidneys. Her kidneys are good. I was like, well, that was, wow, well, that's like amazing news. Like, that was the major thing. We were, since she's so young, she'd be a low priority for a kidney transplant. So, like, we can, I can do dialysis, whatever it takes. We're, well, no, you don't understand. It's not her kidneys, it's her immune system. I said, okay, what does that mean? So she has some kind of tropical infectious disease. We don't know the name. We only know the category. My wife's from Honduras, Central America. So there's probably something in the water that she's had her whole life. And, and stress can trigger it. Probably millions of Hondurans have the same bacteria, never got triggered, never activated this deathly disease, but it's a lot like AIDS and her immune system is shutting down. She could get a cold, a flu, and she'll die. And you need to move to Rochester, the Rochester Clinic, Infectious Disease Center, and the head doctor wants to take her case to prolong her life. I said, she's 23. What do you mean prolong her life? He says, you don't understand. She's dying. And the same week, I have a dream that we have a 12-year-old daughter and she dies. I'm all kinds of conflicted. <laughs> I mean, read Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah says, I love you, Lord. Bless your name. I really don't like you right now, God. <laughs> right? Bless your name, O Lord. Cursed to be the day that somebody told my, my father a male son has been born to you. Cursed. He cursed his birthday. Like, he's like, that's hardcore, man. And he goes, I was de I, you deceived me and I was deceived. I didn't think this was what I was signing up for when you called me to the ministry. You deceived me. Jeremiah was very conflicted. I was very conflicted. So he said, well, I don't want to have kids then. 
My wife, after weeks, months in bed, said, let's go back to Albuquerque. I don't want to go to spend my life in a clinic and die there. Or just, let's just go home and give it to Jesus. And over the next four months, she could finally get out of bed and walk. And uh, she said, let's go to the UNM hospital and, and uh, take a blood test. I said, baby, I don't want to do that. And she said, let's go. And I said, I'm just like, uh, we go to the hospital and there's no trace of it left in her body. That was April 2000. There was no Kodak moment, but God healed my, my beautiful bride. 2001 and 2, we're preaching all over Latin America, starting ministries in Brazil and Argentina and meet this amazing pastor in Argentina, he becomes a spiritual dad to me, and we're doing a big thing, a pastor's thing, hundreds of pastors in Mendoza, Argentina, and he says, Brian, you need to slow down. I said, slow down, I just got him preach at a 100,000 member person crusade. I'm not slowing down, I'm going to run harder. And he goes, you need to have kids. I told your mercy, you guys need to slow down and have kids. I'm like, you talk to my wife about having kids? This spiritual father thing, I'm a little out of control here. And, uh, and I was like, he said, listen to me, when I was your age, I had the same favor that you have, but I burnt out and I neglected my family and I don't want that to happen to you. Just listen to an old man, slow down. Have kids, kids will make you slow down. And start a family. So the next year we prayed and I didn't like it, I prayed and God said, he's right. I'm like, dang it. And uh, we started a family and I really had to battle that year through prayer and fasting, this fear that I would have a girl and she'd go to 12 and she would die and we beat it and then she was about eight years old and she got sick and they didn't know what it was and I freak out how many of you understand that, that faith is not the absence of fear it's what we got taught in Bible school but it's just not true faith is not the absence of fear it's the courage in spite of your fear to trust Jesus and to chase the will of God can I get an amen the, the, the father said, I, Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Faith is not an absence of doubt, but it's a, in spite of my doubt, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. There's something bigger, and I love you. I'm going to bring my doubt to you. See, because I was taught, leave your doubt and go to Jesus. Jesus, bring your doubt with you. Bring your pain with you. Bring your junk with you. Bring your sin with you. Because you've never met anyone who loves more than Jesus. And he, he takes us just as we are. And, and I conquered that fear. And then she's 12, like Jairus' daughter, and she gets this unknown disease, and my heart breaks. My heart just breaks. She's in a wheelchair. Neurologist said she'd never walk again. And then something freaky happens. They, they thought it was a stroke. They don't know what happened, but she couldn't open her eyelids. So I had to hold her eyelids open so she could see me and say, baby, it's daddy. And then she went into complete amnesia. I said, Chloe, and she just looked around, and I said, Chloe, and she says, uh, I, 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 Chloe, 12-year-old honor student spe started speaking like a two-year-old. I said, yeah, honey, you're Chloe. Do you know who I am? And she touched my face, and she said, you, Dad, Dad, you love me. And I screamed, and the doctor came in, and the neurologist came in. I had to hold her eyelid open so he could test her. And he said, where do you go to school? What's the school? What year is it? What's your name? I called my wife, who's a professor, and said, baby, get over here. And I said, baby, it's mommy. And I hold, I hold her eyelid open. I show her the iPhone. And my wife goes, baby, I'll be right there. And I hang up the phone, and Chloe goes, what a mommy. 
go to the corner of the room. I'm so hurt. I'm so mad. I'm so broken. Don't know if you've ever been there. I'm just going to be real with you tonight. And I said, God, I told you I didn't want to have a daughter if she would die at 12. And you told me to obey you, to have a daughter, to trust you. And now it's happening just like I dreamed it. It's not fair. And before you go all, all faith on me and tell me that what Job worst feared came upon you, don't put that on me. Don't you dare put that on me tonight. I don't need your judgment. This is how real people encounter a real God with our pain and our hurt and our struggle. And they say, God, I love you with all my heart, but I'm really hurt at you. I don't know if there's anybody in your night that's ever been hurt at God or disappointed in God. And God is so much bigger than your disappointment. And he loves you through your disappointment. He loves you through your anger and through your hurt. God is love. There's 700,000 words in the Bible, but one word towers above all love. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in him, and God lives in him. God is love. If you were to take everything else away from God, take away his holiness, his, his glory, his omniscience, his omnipotence, take away his holiness, take away his faithfulness, what would remain is love. At the very core of who God is, he is unconditional love. And I'm angry with an unconditional loving God. And I said, God, I told you I didn't want to have a daughter if this is what was going to happen. I'm just really hurt at you. I'm just going to ask you, would you do one thing? Would you promise me she's not going to die? And he said, if you'll start 24-7 prayer, I'll take care of your baby girl. And I said, God, that's not fair. America Praise came out of my worst day, out of my worst pain. This is not a ministry that I wanted to start. This was not my dream. This was not my plan. This came out of my worst pain and my worst day, and my, I had to face my worst fears. And here's what I found out, that on the other side of your worst fear is your greatest breakthrough. On the other side of your greatest pain is your biggest victory. That on the other side of your worst failure On the other side of your worst failure is God's greatest glory. Peter said, you know what? Jesus says, look, all of you are going to deny me. And Jesus says, Peter goes, James, he's out. John, boop, gone. Nathaniel, whatever. But me, I'm your boy. I'll never betray you. Jesus, you're not just going to betray me once. You're going to do it three times, you moron, you know. And uh, you're going to deny me. But I've already prayed for you. Look, look, at the, look at the omniscience, the sovereignty, the beauty, the love of God in that statement. I know what you're going to do. See, I don't, I don't think Judas hurt so much. He knew it. He chose the son of perdition to fulfill scripture. He, he, knew, he knew that one was coming. He knew Peter was coming. I think that hurt the most. That was his right-hand man. But I've already prayed for you. I know you're going to betray me, and it's going to break my heart, but I've already prayed for you, because Satan's coming for you. He wants to sift you like wheat, but I've already prayed for you. And when you're converted, go strengthen your brothers. And I just so love it that Peter failed the most miserable way that you could ever fail, denied Jesus in the worst way. When Jesus raises from the dead, he goes, go call the disciples and Peter. And I love it that at the, at the end of the book of John, he encounters him in the ocean. He says, Peter, do you love me? 
And Peter's too embarrassed to even say, and he goes, you know, Lord. And he says, no, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with unconditional love? And he goes, no, I, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. I don't, I don't love you the way you love me. And he's too embarrassed to even say it. He goes, Peter, feed, feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go, go back to doing what you were doing. I love it that God is such a God of grace, such a God of the second chance, and a God of the fifth chance, and a God of the 100th chance. And I love it that tonight that grace is here to encounter us right where we're at in our fear, in our pain, because on the other side of Peter's greatest failure was 3,000 people who were going to get saved because of his preaching. The man that was so afraid to confess Jesus when the little servant girl said, aren't you one of his? Who was so afraid to confess Jesus. A few days later, preaching with Holy Ghost fire and power and boldness and authority and 3,000 men and women and children are responding to the gospel of God. I love it that tonight on the other side of your worst failure, on the other side of your divorce, on the other side of your bankruptcy, that on the other side of your church closing down, on the other side of your heartache is the greatest victory that you've ever seen. Stand to your feet tonight. If I could have the worship team come. I want us to get desperate for God tonight. I wrote a really nice sermon for you, and, and God said, uh-uh, you're not going to preach that sermon. Talk to them about getting desperate for God, so I scribbled down two verses before I ran up here. You don't need another sermon you guys have heard. You've heard Furtick, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm not as good as Furtick on his worst day. Furtick could have the flu and pneumonia and triple leukemia, and he would still be a better preacher than I am. But we don't need a sermon tonight from a great preacher. What we need is an encounter with God. We need an encounter with the living God. Like in Genesis 32, if you can begin ministering. And uh, in Genesis 32, Jacob is facing a crisis because Esau is on his way to kill him with armed men. And the Bible says he gets desperate. Your greatest encounter will come when you get desperate for God. The greatest encounters in the Bible came when men and women were desperate. When Elijah was so desperate and so discouraged and so depressed that he wanted to die is when God encountered him on that mountain. Your greatest encounter with God will come when you get the most desperate. And it says he wrestled with God. And God asked him a question. It's the same question I'm going to ask you tonight. And he said, what's your name? Do you remember before his father Isaac said, what's your name? And he said, I'm Esau. He lied. Because his whole life growing up in Hebrew culture, the word Jacob meant deceiver, meant surplanter. And he heard the story about in the womb, he's pulling his brother's heel. And every time he heard Jacob, he heard liar. Every time he heard, come here, Jacob, dinner's ready, he heard supplanter. Jacob, the bus is ready for you. Yes, they had buses. They're called chariots, okay? Work with me, people. The bus is ready. Go, Jacob, or you're going to miss the bus. What he heard was deceitful, because that's what the word means. And years later, he's at a moment of crisis. 
He's at an intersection. This, this story could go either way. And God asks him, what's your name? What, what, what's, what's happening? The God knew his name. He wants to know, will he be honest? And, and Jacob says, I'm a deceiver. And when he got real with God in that moment of vulnerability and authenticity and broken honesty, when he could really admit it, I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm a deceiver. That's when God met him in his broken, desperate state. And he said, you're no longer Jacob. I call you Israel because you've wrestled with God and you prevailed. You're now a prince with God. And God changes his name and he changes his identity. And he said, God, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And says he wrestled with him till the break of day. Well, I would like to see that wrestling match. Don't you want to see that on, on heaven too when we get to heaven? I'd be able to watch the video of that of Jacob wrestling God. He has to have been a pretty good wrestler. I mean, he's like Nacho Libre, right? He, he had eagle powers, you know? It's like he, he, he wrestled God to a standstill. Like, it was tied after five hours. Like, he's a good wrestler. And God puts his hip out of joint. And he walks the rest of his life with a limp. When I was a young preacher, a, an old preacher told me, Brian, never trust a man who doesn't walk with a limp. We want to hide our scars, but it's our scars, it's our limps that mark us, that make us powerful. It's our limitations that make us strong. So the Bible says when you are weakest, he is strongest. And, and I wonder if tonight we could have a moment of honesty with God when God says, what's your name? I wonder if somebody tonight would say, I'm a porn addict. I wonder if you could finally admit that to God. Oh, it's only once a week. You're an addict. Some of you have a problem with lying, and I wonder if someone would get honest to God and say, you know what, God, I'm a liar. Some of you live in paralyzing fear, and I, I wonder if somebody would get honest with God and say, God, I'm, I'm afraid. And some of you are self-medicating, and some of you are cutting and I wonder if we'd just be honest with God and say, I'm a cutter. Because you're facing the, 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 the supernatural being known as God who is love. The Bible says in John 1, 17 that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. He brought grace and he brought truth and he brought freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And God wants to meet you tonight. But it takes brokenness and it takes honesty and it takes desperation. But if you would get desperate tonight... If you would wrestle with God tonight, you could walk out of this place a different person than you came in. Some of you are so financially broken. You're so stressed out. I've been rich and I've been poor. I'm not going to lie to you. Rich is better. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, when the bank called, we're upside down on our beautiful house. Went upside down a hundred grand like that, like in two months. And the bank calls and says, you got to be out of your house in 72 hours. You need 3,800 and we had no money. I've been 72 hours away from nowhere, so I know what it's like to be broke. And you're so broken and you're so discouraged and you feel like a failure. Listen, failures is an event. It's not a person. You're not a failure. You may have failed. As Moses did, you may have failed as Peter did. You may have failed as David did. 
but you're not a failure. You're a child of the Most High God, and He loves you with His unconditional, complete, intense love from another world. And He is grace, and He is hope, and He is forgiveness, and He welcomes you in just as you are. And I wonder if someone would be honest and say, I'm a prodigal. And if somebody else would be honest and tell God what you're struggling with. It could be pride. It could be self-righteousness. It could be jealousy. It could be fear. But here's what I figured out. Everybody's struggling with something. We're just a room full of strugglers here tonight. We're all struggling with something. And I wonder if we could just get a hold of God tonight and wrestle for a few minutes. And I'm going to ask these amazing interns that have come from Canada to come stand up here and maybe we could move this pulpit. And I wonder as a church if we could just come to the altar, all of us. Not some of us, but just I wonder if all of us would just come to the altar. And you say, why is that important? Because in the Bible... God met them at the altar. They, they brought their sacrifice to the altar. So I wonder if all of us would come stand at the altar and I'll be the first struggler here to raise my hands so you don't feel embarrassed. But just if you want to wrestle with God tonight, my baby girl got out of that wheelchair. Her memory came back. She walked out of that hospital. Come on, come on, get in close like family. Let's press into God like family tonight. Come on. But for the last three years, she's been off and on with pain. And the month of April, she went through three weeks in bed with a migraine that wouldn't leave for three straight weeks. And I got desperate for God. It's one thing to pray. We don't need another prayer meeting that we all fall asleep at. I've led plenty of those. We need an encounter with the living Christ. And by that 21st day that my daughter could not get it, this was two months ago, I said, God, I'm going to stand on your word. Because you told me if I started 24-7 prayer, you'd take, to my, you'd take care of my baby girl, and you're not a man that you can lie. And so I'm going to make a claim on your righteousness. I'm going to make a claim on your promises, because my Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen. And so I'm going to make a claim tonight. And my baby girl started to get better. And she's with us. My, my wife and kids are in Austin. I fly home to Austin tomorrow. We go to SeaWorld on Tuesday. God is not a man that he can lie, but it takes a moment of desperation. And I wonder if you would just get, get desperate for God tonight. We're going to sing the song. We're going to worship. And I want us just to cry out to God like Jacob did and say, God, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. So let's worship together. Come on, everybody, just close your eyes. Focus on Jesus. Lift up your hands to heaven. Come on, church. Let's run hard after God tonight. Waiting for change to come. My God, my God. Knowing the battles won. 
Jehovah still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Well, this is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Well, great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Well, this is my confidence. You never fail me yet. Your promise still stands. Oh, great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Still in your hands, where this is my confidence, you never failed me yet. Jesus, you never failed me yet, and you never will. You never failed me yet. He's never failed us yet, church. You never failed me yet. You never failed me. Saturate this place. You never failed me yet. Never found me yet. You never will. I love you, Lord. Oh, oh. I love you, Lord. We bow before you, Lord. We bow before you, Lord. Our greatest breakthrough, church, our greatest breakthrough is on the other side of our greatest frustration at times. I just feel there's some people here tonight. You came in with a burden. Let that burden go. Let it go. Let that burden go. Lay it at his feet. Your breakthrough is waiting for you tonight. Your breakthrough is waiting for you tonight. Lift your hands, church. Come on, lift your hands. Are you desperate for him? Are you desperate for God tonight? Are you desperate for God? You never failed. What you said you will do, you'll do it again. You'll do it again. Come on, lift it up. You'll do it again. You'll do it again. You'll do it again, God. You'll do it again. You'll do it again. Oh, you'll do it again. Your promises. Oh, your blessings, Lord. Your favor. Lord, you never, never fell us, God. Oh, you never fell us. Oh, we never. You'll never fell us, God. You'll never fell us. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. 
sing that again. Your promise still stands. Well, great is your faithfulness. Come on. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Well, this is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise. Your promise still stands. Well, great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Well, this is my confidence. You never. Come on, your promise. Your promise still stands. Well, great is your faithfulness. Your Still in your hands, well, this is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise, your promise still Well, great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, well, this is my confidence. You never failed me, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, you never failed me yet, and I never will forget, and you never failed me yet. Never felt us, God. You never felt us, God. And you never failed me yet. And I never will forget that you never failed me yet. And I never will forget. That you never failed me. Do you hear that, church? And I never will forget that you never failed me. Lift it up. And I never will forget. And you never failed me church let us not forget all that God's done for us in the past come on let's not forget about that all the things that God's done for us in the past he will do it again all we have to do like Pastor Brian said is just believe take a step of obedience tonight there's somebody here I don't know who it is but somebody needs to take one step of obedience one step of obedience to release God's blessing on your life. I don't know what that is, who that is. There's somebody here, you've wrestled with this and you're just on the cusp of something that God's doing for your life. And I don't know what that is. I just really feel that in my spirit that there's somebody here, there's one step away, one act of obedience away from fulfilling 
the blessing that God has for you. Don't forget what he's done for you, church. He'll do it again. And I never will forget that you never failed me yet. And I never will forget that you never failed me yet. And I never will forget that you never failed me yet. You never failed me, God. Hallelujah, Lord. And all of you is more than enough for all of me. More every thirst and every need. You satisfy me. With your love and all I have in you is more than enough. It's more than enough. More than enough. And all of you is more than enough for all of me. For Every need you satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. You're more, you're more than enough, you're more than enough. Sing it out, all of you, and all of you. Is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need. You satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. my supply my breath of life you are my reward worth living for you're more awesome than I know and all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough it's more than enough You're my supply. You are my supply, my breath of life. 
still more awesome than I know. You are my reward worth living for. You're still more awesome than I know. And all of you hey. is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than 